Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. this series called Authority Matters. Authority Matters. And today I have the honor of sharing with you a message that I'm entitling Honoring Authority. If you have the YouVersion app on your phone, you can follow along uh, there with the notes as well, and they'll also be on the screen. But this is a, a message that addresses something that's highly unpopular in today's world. I want to begin by sharing the words of the Apostle John. John was about 91, 92 years old when he penned these words. In 2 John, it only has one chapter, verse 8. Notice what the text says. Look to yourselves, John said, that we do not lose those things we worked for. Now we can see from the outside of this message that this message is not for your neighbor. It's for you. So for the rest of the time, you can't think of, oh, I wish somebody would be streaming or I wish somebody would be here because John said, no, you look to yourself. You don't look to your neighbor. You don't look to the person you think should hear the message, but we look to ourselves. There's, this is a, a call to introspection, right? He says, but that we, watch this, may receive. Everybody say receive. A full reward. A full reward. Now, how many of you know God is a rewarder? Amen. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I mean, come on, church. How does God introduce himself to the father of all nations? When God says, I'm going to start a people of which will become the church, he goes to a man named Abram in the land of Ur of the Chaldee, right? And the Bible says, he being the son of a pagan named Tetrarch, he speaks to Abram, and this is what he said. He said, after these things, Genesis 15, 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, what? Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I mean, what a way to introduce yourself as a God of a whole nation. I am your reward. You actually get me. I'm a rewarder, and the reward you get is me. I'm going to be your great shield. So what a way. Now notice John doesn't say in the text, 2 John and 8, he doesn't say that just receive a reward. He says, may you receive a full reward. Now, what does that mean? That means that there has to be a scenario with a half reward or a partial reward and a no no reward. So that is to say that we follow God and we have three options. We will receive a full reward, we will receive a partial reward, or we will receive no reward. Now, I find it so interesting that he doesn't tell the, 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 the readers to live in such a way that you will receive a partial reward. Why? Listen to me, church. Because God wants you to have the full reward. He does. Now, of course, this is speaking about the judgment seat of Christ, what we call the bema of Christ, where we will be judged as believers. Please understand, when we are judged as believers, we're not talking about sin here. So our sin is not being brought into, we're not being examined for sin. We will be examined by how we live this life as believers, and we will receive rewards or we will suffer losses. This is clear in Scripture. However, even though I'm talking about a future judgment, the Bible says very clearly that godliness has the promise of the life that now is and the life that is to come. So watch this. The judgment seat is talking about the life that is to come. I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the reward or the reward we get for the life that is. What do we receive in the is? The is to come is covered by the judgment, but what about the now? Now, the Proverbs chapter eleven thirty one 31 says, the righteous are rewarded not at the bema, they're rewarded in the earth. We receive a reward in the earth, a full reward, a partial reward, or 
no reward. So what is God saying to you and me when he says that, see, you don't lose your full reward? Well, anytime you want to understand a passage, you go to the Gospels. Listen, let me just side point real quick. Whenever you want a picture of the will of God on earth, you go to Jesus' life. Okay, that's just a good Bible reading tip. If you want to know, understand God's will on the earth, you go to Jesus, okay? So Jesus is disclosed, the ministry and life and, and testimony of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, when you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you begin to find a startling, startling revelation when you look at Jesus' life. There were certain people who received a full reward from heaven. There were some people who received a partial reward from heaven. And there were some people who got no reward at all. And I don't know about you, but years ago, I began to meditate on this. And as I began to meditate on this, you begin to see a thread running through all these scenarios. And that thread is the thread of honor. 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 Honoring specifically the authorities God puts in our life. Let me show you some examples of what Jesus' life and how it communicates this. First of all, Mark chapter 6, Jesus is coming to a city. He's coming to a city that's looking for the Messiah. They're anticipating the Messiah. It's an anticipatory time in the life of this city. They're waiting for the Messiah to show up. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says, Now he, Jesus, could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, and he healed them. Now, you must understand, church, in other cities, this same Jesus with the same message is opening blinded eyes. He's opening deaf ears. He's healing crippled people. Dead people are getting resurrected. And he comes to this city, and just a few headaches get healed, and just a few little tweaked backs get healed, and minor cases of arthritis are healed. But there is nowhere near the same amount or intensity of miracles in this city as in other cities of Jesus. But that's not what got my attention. In 2009, I preached a message at a church called Free chapel that I was pastoring at the time in, in Atlanta as well. I preached a message called WYSIWYG. And WYSIWYG was an acronym for what you see is what you get. That when Jesus came to the city of Nazareth, whatever they perceived him to be, they re- received that kind of reward. If they thought he was the son of a carpenter, they received the power of a carpenter. If they saw him as the divine Lord, they received divine power. What you see is what you get with God's kingdom. But here's the amazing thing. When he goes into the city, the same Jesus Notice what words totally jumped off the page for me. The Bible said he could do no mighty work there. It does not say he wouldn't do any mighty work. I could handle that because that deals with his will. Could not deals with somebody else's will restraining him. We don't like this subject when we preach the gospel. Jesus was restrained from doing something by somebody else's will. What? He could not do. Not he should. Not he wouldn't. Not he had a will to not do it. He could not do miracles there except heal a few sick people. The Amplified Version says he was not able to do any mighty work. Jesus is the Son of God. If you read this passage, you'll push yourself back from the table and you'll say, hold on, time out. The Bible says in Acts he was anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure, and yet he comes to a city where he is restrained. Now listen, folks, we got to know what restrains Jesus because if we understand what restrains Jesus, we'll understand what restrains us. So what would restrain Jesus? It's right there in the text. Previous two verses, look at verse 3. 
When he comes into the city, they say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and, and Joseph, uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph and Judas and Simon and not, not his sisters with us? So they were offended him. Watch this. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, 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 except in his own country, among his own relatives and in his own house. You say, Craig, what's taking place? Jesus comes to Nazareth. It was his hometown. It's not this passage. You can read about it in Luke chapter 4. Jesus comes to Nazareth. Everybody, it's the Sabbath, so everybody's in the synagogue. That's the place of worship. The whole city's in the synagogue, so Jesus walks up in the synagogue. Guess what he does? He gets up in front of the people. He grabs the prophet Isaiah scroll. They didn't have a Bible, you know, pre, pre-printing press here. And, and, and Gutenberg hadn't, hadn't, hadn't come to play, right? And so he gets this scroll, unrolls it. This is one of the dopest moments in Scripture. He unrolls it, and he starts quoting Isaiah 61. And he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. That's what he said. And now nothing was out of the ordinary. They got it. They knew this text. But then this is what he did. The Bible says he rolled it back up, okay, like a baton. And he said, hey, today in your hearing, this scripture is fulfilled. And he sat down in the crowd. I mean, come on, folks. I mean, you, you're talking about an awesome moment, right? And what's he saying? I am the Messiah. And when he does this, rustling happens. Woo, rustling. And, and, and let me paint the picture. The guy sat back in, in row pew number eight. He looks over and he says, honey, isn't this the kid in Sally's math class? Wasn't this the kid? And then somebody else in the city says, hey, hey, honey, isn't this the kid raising our cul-de-sac? Man, he was, dunk, he was dunking and yamming on people when he was like 10 years old, you know? And then somebody else down here is like, man, our kitchen and tables were built. Our kitchen table was built by this man. See, these people had an image of what they thought Messiah to be. For instance, their, their image of the Messiah was actually created by the Old Testament Scripture. Same prophet Isaiah that he got up and read actually said this in Isaiah 6 and 8, and they knew it very well. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. What does that mean? They, were, they had this image of a militant war and conquering Messiah coming and delivering them from Roman oppression and rule and setting up the throne of David in Jerusalem and ruling there forevermore. But when Jesus comes, he's a hometown boy. He made the furniture in their house and now he has a lot of prostitutes following him and mafia, mafia's tax collectors of their day. He's got prostitutes and mafia that are following him and they are stunned because this is not the way they expected Messiah to come. Now that tells me something, church, about human Are you ready? Many times God will send you what you need in a package you don't want. Uh, Let me go ahead and make a little bit more bolder statement. Most of the times God will send you what you need in a package you don't want to open. So here comes the Messiah coming on the scene in a way that they did not perceive. Why does he do that? Because he's God and you aren't and I'm not. And when Jesus does not come the way they expect him to come, they withhold what? Honor. Everybody say honor. Now, the Greek word honor is tamay, tamay. Tamay is used all throughout the New Testament, okay? Let me go ahead and define the word honor for you so we understand. The word honor literally means a valuing. It means weighty or precious. So when you speak honor or say honor to a Greek man or woman, they think of something precious. They think of something weighty. They think of something value like gold. Now, you don't put gold anywhere. You put gold because of its value in a place that matches its value. So the safety of the, you don't just set it on the table for any and all to see. You put it in a place that is is honorable. Another definition of honor to me in scripture is to appreciate, to esteem, watch this, or to respect. Now, 
The best way to sometimes learn New Testament words and what they mean is to learn what they don't mean, okay? So let me tell you what it doesn't mean. The word antonym of tome is atome. Atome means to treat as common or to treat as ordinary. So listen to me. The opposite of honoring someone in your life is to treat them as ordinary. The opposite of honoring someone is to treat them as common. Woo, it's quiet today. To show no respect or no value. Now listen to me, church. Honor can be displayed in action, in word, or even in thought. But watch this. All true honor originates from the heart. From the heart. That's why God says this in Isaiah 29, 13. God speaking. Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths, next slide, and honor me, watch this, with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me. They keep on giving me lip service, but it's not coming from their heart. It's coming from their mind, coming from the frontal, you know, pre, you know, uh, the, the, the frontal cortex of the brain and, and through the speech, but it's not coming from the heart. And watch this. And their fear towards me. Oh, my goodness. If, it, if there is a verse for American culture in 2020. And their fear towards me is what? Is taught by the precepts of men, the commandments of men. So look at me, church. True honor starts in the heart, and it's an outflow of the reverential fear of the Lord. It starts here. So Jesus comes and they withhold honor from him and he could do no mighty work. So they only got a partial reward. Why? Because of one word. Everybody say it. Honor. Say it. Luke chapter five. I'm not going to give you, I could take you through one after the other. Luke chapter five, Jesus is teaching in the house. All other teachers and preachers are there. It's probably accurate to say about 150 people are in this house. The Bible says this in Luke five, that the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know what that means? That means that there were preachers and teachers that needed healing. Now, let me just tell you, the law of, 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 of mathematics tells us here, if there's 150 people in the room and the Bible says the power of the Lord was there to heal them, I would say half a dozen, maybe a dozen people need to be healed. But guess what? Nobody gets healed. The power of the Lord was there to heal them, Luke 5, but no one gets healed until one guy shows up. And the one guy shows up, not on his own accord, but being carried by four friends. He's a paralytic laying on a rug, okay, long before Aladdin shows up. And here is this rug that they come up to the, to the front door of the house. And, and Jesus' um, bodyguards are there. And the bodyguards say to, Jesus, say to the man, they say, hey, man, sorry, man. Um, you know, we're bouncers at the party here. Jesus Connect group's going real good. House is already full. You need to get a ticket a little bit quicker next time on Eventbrite. And they're like, no, no. The reality is I'm actually, next time you see me, I am going to lower my man. My man here, you see him? I'm going to lower him down on the altar in front of Jesus. You know what they do? They get the ladder, go up on top of the roof, start tearing off the roof. Okay? Poor soul who, who was the host home that day, right? His whole roof is torn up. And so tears off the tiles of the roof and they drop this man in front of Jesus. And what does he say? The Bible says when he saw their faith, not the man's faith, not the man's faith. When he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven you. Now the Bible says when he said that, the other teachers and preachers thought in their mind. It did not say they said. Let me illustrate. This is not what's going on. Hey, Hank. What did he just say? The man's sins are forgiven. No one can forgive except God. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. The Bible says 
They thought that. You know what Jesus says the very next text? The very next text says, when Jesus saw their thoughts, he looked and said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk, but that you may know the Son of Man on earth has power to forgive sins. I tell you to get up and walk, and the man gets up and walks, and the teachers and preachers are amazed, but none of them got healed. Even though the power of God was there to heal them, no one got healed just because they dishonored Jesus in their thoughts. I know we don't preach this, but this is the truth. We act like when we come into church that our dishonorable thoughts are going to somehow miss God and God miss them and we get a full reward. Impossible. He knew their thoughts. They did not get healed. None of them got healed. The one man got healed, but none of them got healed. Did you know you actually limit God with your thoughts? Oh, yeah. The whole psalmist said this. He said, are you going to continue to vex the Holy One of Israel? That means limit him with your small thinking. Is his arm too short to save, nor his ear deaf or dull? Right? What you see is what you get. How you think about him is how you receive. A.W. Tozer, in the Knowledge of the Holy, starts his book with this. The most important thing about us as human beings is what comes into our minds when we think about God. He said, our worship is as high or low as the entertainer, excuse me, the worshiper entertains thoughts about God. So even our thought life can dishonor Jesus. I'm going to give you one more example. Roman centurion. I preached on it two weeks ago. Roman centurion, he, centurion means he has over 100, officer, 100 uh, soldiers. Roman centurion comes to Jesus one day, and he is just messed up. Jesus, man, my servant's back home. Would you come heal him? Jesus says, yeah, I'll come heal him. He said, oh, time out, reverse. He said, you don't actually need to come to my house. I'm a man under authority, and I see you're under your father's authority. And when I speak to something uh, to my officers, they do it instantly. Whatever I say, they do. So here's what you got to do, Jesus. All you got to do is speak the word, and then my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, time out, time out. Come on, guys, come on. Everybody come around. I have never seen such great faith in all of Israel. What is he saying, church? Okay. Who did Jesus find in Israel? John the Baptist. John the Baptist kicked in his mother's womb before Jesus was even born. Baptized him in the Jordan River, saw the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at one time. Did he have great faith? Yes. Did he have as much faith as the Roman centurion? According to Jesus, no. Who else has full of faith? Mary, 14-year-old girl, ruined reputation forever because of the impregnancy of a son of God in her womb. Did she have great faith? Yes. Did she have as much faith as the Roman centurion? According to Jesus' words, no. What are you saying? I'm saying faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I would bet... I would bet, and I would win this bet. John the Baptist heard a whole lot more scripture spoken than the Roman centurion, but he didn't have more faith. Why? Because this man understood one thing, honor. Honor. You don't even need to come under my roof. Just speak the word. Jesus said, woo Bible says he was marveled. Now, anytime you see Jesus marveled at something, you need to pay attention to what he's marveling at. Marvel. You take this all the way to Jesus' crucifixion. Seven days before he's crucified, Jesus makes an, a bomb. He drops a statement that has been so misused and so misinterpreted throughout Christendom. Seven days before he dies, this is what he says, Luke 13, verse 35. Such a powerful statement. He said, look, I surely, your house has left you desolate. I tell you, you won't see me again. What's he saying? I'm about to die on a cross. I'm going to be gone for three days. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to live for 40 more days on the earth. I'm going to go to the Father. Then we'll see you the Holy Spirit. They don't know that yet. They're disciples like us. They need to be told many, many times. But he says to him, listen, I, you, you will not see me again. Look, I'm not making this up, y'all. Jesus said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going away. You won't see me again until the one I send to you 
in my name. And when I send the one to you in my name, then you'll see me. This is why when people say, well, we as a church, we accept the Holy Spirit. But listen, listen, listen. If you don't receive and honor the Holy Spirit and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then you don't receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the ministry of Jesus. That's what the anointing is, the presence of the indwelling Christ in people's lives. And he says, you have to say unto me, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You say, Craig, why is that? John 13, 20. I don't have time to show you all, but let me show you a few of them. Jesus said, again, most surely I say to you, he who receives, anytime you see the word receives in the New Testament, it's the word lambano. Lambano is equivalent to tame or honor. You can interchange them. So most assuredly, I say to you, he who honors who I send honors me. And he who honors me receives or honors him who sent me. God gives us a spiritual law. You ready for it? First Samuel chapter 2, verse Uh, verse 30, God says, those who honor me, I will honor them. Those who lightly esteem me, I will lightly esteem them. Craig, how would I ever lightly esteem God? Let me tell you something. You ready? By lightly esteeming the one Jesus sends us, we lightly esteem Jesus. By lightly esteeming Jesus, we lightly esteem the Father. And the Father says, I'll lightly esteem you. That's not a really good idea when you need a prayer answered. That's a miserable place to be. We need a prayer answered. He said, you honor me. You honor the one I send. You honor me. You honor me. You honor the Father. The Father honors you. Honor. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40. I'm gonna give you another one. He who receives you, there it is again, honors me, honors, receives you, honors you, receives me, honors me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. Now watch this. This is a passage that's so important in today's context. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, watch this, shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. He whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in my name, watch this, in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. What is Jesus saying? Every human being on the planet you interact with will fall into one of three categories of authority. Are you ready for them? Honoring authority. Man, you guys are quiet. You girls are quiet today. Okay, three levels of authority. Here's what they are. Three categories, every human being you ever meet. Number one, those who are above us. That's our leaders. Those who are above us. Number two, those who are on the same level of authority of us. That's our peers. Number three, those who are entrusted to our care. Jesus refers to them as little ones. Anybody, you all, although you're, 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 you're growing in the Lord, I am responsible and I will stand before God for the quality of discipleship that happens in your life. The only thing I'll be able to say to God only thing as a pastor is not how many I reach. It's gonna be how Christ-like are the people you gave your life to. And I will receive my reward based on that. And if the people that I've pastored are not very Christ-like, I lose rewards. That, that's, that's what scripture's clear. Paul said, you are my joy, my crown. I have nothing else to stand before God to say. If you're a husband in here, you're gonna present your wife to the Lord one day and say, does she look like you? Did she grow up into any and everything you called her to be? I want her to be a greenhouse so that she would become all that you've called her to be. I'm gonna be responsible to that because she's entrusted to my care. She's a little one. Your wife will like that if you call her a little one too. She'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna keep this diet up, baby. You know. So there's three types of groups, three types of authority, those above us, those that are peers, and those that are entrusted to us. Listen to me, look at me, church. We honor each of those, and those three levels of authority have each of those have a reward for us. Because Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these of my brothers, you've done it unto me. And when you've done it to me, you've done it to the Father. And what you do to the Father, he will do to you. So let's talk about each of these levels of authority. First of all, the prophet 
This is what we call Jesus referring to about church authority. That's section number one, those who are above us. Now, let me talk about that for a moment, okay? You can span this to the other four areas of delegated authority God has placed in each of our lives. Now, everybody in here know the four areas that God has delegated authority in your life? All right, let's take a step back. All right, let's hit those four areas. Here's the four areas that God delegates authority in our life. Number one, the Bible says all authorities of God. We don't like that. We do not like Romans 13. All authorities of God. Does the Bible say that? Yes. All authorities delegated by God. Does the Bible say that? Yes. Now, a lot of people hate that scripture. You know why they hate that scripture? Because they have had mean, dishonest, cruel authorities. Let me make something really clear. You ready, church? The Bible says all authority is of God. It does not say all authority is godly. Let me make something clear to you again. The authority is of God. The behavior may not be. Your Bible in your lap is full of people who have the authority of God whose behavior is anything but godly. Full of stories who have the authority of God yet don't live ethically according to God's law. All through the Bible. See, I find, y'all, that some of the hardest people on the planet to teach the kingdom of God to are Americans. You know why? Simple, simple reason. Very quite, quite easy to understand. We are a people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. I don't know if you know this or not. We don't live in a democracy where we get an opinion or a voice in the kingdom of God. It is a theocracy where God is king. And he's not a figurehead king that will change his narrative in order to win more political favor. He says what he says. He has rank, order, and authority. And if you and I, as Democrats, Republicans, try to relate to God in a democratic mindset, you and I will not connect to God because he is not in a democracy. I don't know how else to say it. Democracy is good for America. I'll fight with you tooth and nail, but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a king. And what that king says goes. And no one will usurp that king's authority. And every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father because of that king. That's the reality. I don't, I don't know how it's more plain to make that to people. That's the reality. So what are those four levels of authority? Well, number one, civil authority. That's the vice president. That's the president all the way down to the policeman on the street. Oh, this is an unpopular message. I knew it would be going into it. Okay. Should policemen be held accountable for their actions? Oh, absolutely. They're servants of God. They're servants of God, Craig? Yeah. Yeah. Appointed by God. Given authority by God. Really? Yeah. Read the text. What does the text say? Civil authority. Next area would be family authority. The husband's the head of the wife. The, the husband... Uh, must submit, the wife must submit to her husband. The husband must love his wife like Christ loved the church. The children should obey their parents. Third area is social authority. That's our coaches. That's our bosses. That's our teachers. That's our employers. And then the fourth area of authority, you know what it is? It's the one Jesus refers to. It's called church authority, spiritual authority, when he says the prophet. Now let me talk about civil authority real quick. You ready? Romans 13, 4 is what it says. Romans 13 says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. That means our authorities are given by God for our good. They're supposed to. Didn't say their behavior is always good. Didn't say always they have ethical statements. Didn't say that they shouldn't be held accountable for wrong things they do. Absolutely should be. But their authority is from God. But if you do wrong, be afraid, please. For rulers don't bear the sword for no reason, the Apostle Paul tells the Romans. They're God's servants. Who? God's servants. Policemen are God's Policemen are God's servants. Civil authorities are God's servants. Watch this. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrong doer. They're God's servants working for your own good. 
He goes on to say, Romans 13, jumps down. Paul's, Paul's going at it, man. He ain't mixing words right here. Verse six, this is what he says. He says, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Watch this. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, give them taxes. If you owe them revenue, give them revenue. If you owe them respect, give them respect. If you owe them, here we are, honor. Give them honor. So the next time you're 15 miles per hour over the speed limit and you see blue lights behind you, don't you go binding the devil. That dude or that woman is not working for the devil. That's the time you pray for mercy, okay? They're working for God. You don't need to be binding no diabolos pulling you over. You need to be saying, God, you're gonna have to give me some mercy because your agent of wrath is about to drop me a $180 ticket, okay? (laughs) Now look at verse seven. Let's leave it up there. If it's honor, then honor. Now, let's just put our little addendum. You ready? We're 21st century Americans. Show honor to all the nice ones. Ah, man, it doesn't say that. Gosh. Show honor to all the ones we voted for. Ah, it doesn't say that either. Show honor to all authority. Why? Because it's not a statement of confidence in their behavior. It's a statement of confidence in the authority God gives you want to talk about a countercultural witness in the 21st century? Start honoring authority. You will be stick out like a sore thumb by five o'clock today. We just live in vitriol and violence and spewing at the mouth dishonor to every good and godly authority and every bad authority that is appointed by God in our life. We do. We do. We, we again and again, you say, Craig, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are we really supposed to honor a mean, cruel, dishonest authority? Well, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. 1 Peter 2.17, Peter says this, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Honor the king. You know what Peter's saying there? How can you say you fear God who you don't see when you can't respect the person he places in authority that you do see? Now listen, do you know what king he's talking about here? You know what king Peter's talking about here? King Herod Agrippa I. King Herod Agrippa I was murdering his brothers and sisters in the Lord to gain political favor and advantage with the Jewish people. Honor him. Honor the king. Honor the king that's slaughtering your family. Gospel is impossible to live out apart from his empowerment, isn't it? That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Honor the king. What do you mean, honor the king? It's not easy, but this is what you got to do. You ready? You have to see behind the man or woman's behavior and honor the authority on him or her. See, in America, we say to the leader, well, you got to first earn my respect. But the fear of God doesn't say that. The fear of God doesn't judge by the seeing of the eye or the earring of the hear. The Bible says in the Proverbs that the fear of God judges by, watch this, it judges according to righteous judgment. So the fear of God doesn't say, hey, you have to first earn my respect. It says, I see the authority on you, therefore you already have my respect because I honor your position, not your behavior. You want to be a countercultural witness of her disciple of Jesus? Start honoring people's position, not because of who they are, who they aren't, but because of the authority that God has given them. That's a countercultural witness. We could go for days, couldn't we? We could go for days. Here's second with family authority. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, honor your father and mother, which is the first suggestion with promise. 
Let me, let me read it again. Honor your father and mother, which is the first suggestion that you throw out on Facebook in your status with promise. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Not an option here. Not an option. Your honor is not dependent upon the dishonorable authority or behavior that your dishonorable parents are showing to you. Gosh, this is hard. This is hard. This is hard. This is hard. This is difficult. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Watch this with promise. Now, what is what God does? He, he goes ahead and sticks the reward to the, to the, to the uh, command. And what does he say? He says that it may be well with you and you may live long in the earth. Church, I don't know and think of, I can't think of two better promises than to live a long life and a successful life. Can you? The problem is we live in a society, folks, that trains us to dishonor our parents. Don't we? My kids are 10. My kids are seven and three. I don't let them watch G-rated shows. I didn't say PG. I said G. You know why? Because there are G-rated shows they try to watch on YouTube where the kid, their entire narrative is speaking dishonorably to their parents and then they still get the reward. They still get the car. They still get the dog. They still get the monkey. That ain't happening in the Mosgrove household, okay? You aren't going to consistently dishonor your parents and think you're going to get some full reward. You're not even going to get a partial reward, okay? You might get some mercy and grace in the future, but you ain't getting no reward. You can't consistently dishonor the people and the parents God's give you and then get a reward, what are we doing to a generation? He said, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it would be well with you and you would live a long life. You say, Craig, that's just too extreme. I don't think it is. Well, Craig, if I do that, people think I'm too extreme. No, you want, no, people can, but God won't. Look what Deuteronomy 27, 16 says. It said, cursed is anyone. Now, if, if God says cursed, if somebody, if somebody says cursed, I'm cool. If God says cursed, I'm, I'm, my attention's up. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father and mother. And then all the people shouted. <laughs> you know what's amazing, folks? How many of you know that God put the list of the Ten Commandments in order of importance? Did you know this? There's called two tables of the Ten Commandments. You say, Craig, how do you know you, he put them in, in order of importance? Because Jesus said it. Matthew twenty two thirty six. love the Lord your God. Verse and grace commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one, like it, love your neighbors yourself. You know what that means? The first four commandments are about our relationship to God. The next six commandments, or what we call the second table of the Ten Commandments, is our relationship to one another. So we put them in order of importance. Now, if you look at murder, woo, pretty serious, right? Number six on the list. You look at adultery, woo, bad. Collateral damage to the kids, collateral damage to the spouses. Number seven on the list. If you look at stealing, yikes. Number eight on the list. You know what God puts before all three of those? Number five, dishonoring your mother and your father. Could it be, I'm just asking, could it be that God sees dishonoring your mom and dad as a more serious offense than murder, adultery, and stealing? Could God see it as just as lethal as murder, lying, and stealing. Craig, how do I know? I don't have time to go into this, but let me just give you one example in the Old Testament, First Chronicles. Jacob had 12 sons, didn't he? 12 tribes of Israel. You know what the first son's name was? Reuben. Second one, Simeon. Third one, Levi. You know what Simeon and Levi did? Simeon and Levi murdered men at a place called Shechem. You know what Reuben did? Reuben, who had the birthright because he was the firstborn, he dishonored his father and he lost his birthright. 
Reuben dishonored his father, lost his birthright. Two and three, murder. They don't lose anything. I'm just asking, could we ask the question, does God see dishonoring our mom and dad that offensive? That offensive. Here's the second one, social authority. Or third, social authority. The Bible says they're worthy of all honor. The Bible says you serve your bosses not as men pleasers, but as unto the Lord. So in other words, listen to me, employee. You're not working for him, you're working for him. Can I just say it? You're not working for him or her, you're working for him. I never forget, I told a young college guy in our college group one time, I said he was so frustrated because he was working at McDonald's, giving, I mean, giving his all, and, and they were treating him wrongly. And I just kept telling him, brother, entrust your work environment to the Lord and just ask him to take your ungodly bosses and to help form in you greater ways the character of Christ. God knows you have an ungodly boss, and yet he still wants you there because he wants character of Christ to be in you. So just keep entrusting it to him, buddy. Just keep doing it. I told him, I said, you are an employee of the kingdom of God. McDonald's just pays your paycheck. And you know what God's trying to do? God's trying to get you to understand this is your story. Boy, that freed him up. When he realized that God wanted to show the world how to fill a Diet Coke, man, he filled a Diet Coke with pep in his step. You're not serving men. You're serving God. You're serving God. He's your source. He just makes your employer pay you for it. That's the Christian worldview. So what does it mean? That means I have to honor my social authority. Finally, Church authority. First Thessalonians 5.12, this is what the text says. It says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Church authority. Now listen, y'all, I know a lot of great men and women of God. One of them is a, a man who just met his maker, just going on to be with the Lord, Reinhard Bonnke. Reinhard Bonnke, probably the greatest evangelist in the history of Christianity. Certainly by people, way, reach way more than Paul. Um, I, the only one that would be close to him would be T.L. Osborne. Um, he started a ministry called Christ for All Nations, Reinhard Bonnke. He just now since gone to the Lord. I, I looked last night. Uh, so Christ for All Nations has won 79,957,281 people to Jesus. That's just the decision cards filled out. They're, they're reaching about almost 100 million people that have filled out a card and said, I surrender to Jesus Christ, okay? I thought that'd be a little more exciting than that, okay? 100 million people, okay? 100 million people. You're talking about a third of the United States. He's won, his ministry, okay? He, he was brought in by our team to preach a youth conference I was at, and so I got to meet with him with some other leaders before. And they said, Reinhardt, tell us, have you ever heard Reinhardt? He said, yes, we would see hundreds of deaf ears opened. That German voice. We would see hundreds of eyes opened on the soil of Africa. Scores of blind eyes opened. Reinhard Bonnke, before he died, he shared via live stream, he won 22 million people to Jesus in Nigeria alone. 22 million. Now I look at this man, and he comes back to America, and in his American meetings, the same man with the same message, with the same anointing, and in America, his meetings, a few headaches get healed, and a bad back gets tweaked, and arthritis gets healed. Why? One word. H-O-N-O-R. Honor. honor. You ever been to Asian culture? They treat people with such honor. Go to Hispanic culture, they treat people with such honor. Go to African culture, they treat people with such honor. God loves honor. They sit, when I go to Asia and preach, y'all, they sit on the edge of their seat waiting literally for every word that comes out of your mouth. I come back to America and people sit there and say, well, I've already heard all the best. You're going to do something good that's going to make me want to share the podcast today? 
So meanwhile, they get their eyes open and we get headaches healed. Because in America, here's what we've learned and we've been trained. We've gotten this horrible habit in American churches where we listen to a sermon in order to critique it rather than to hear God's address to the people and His people in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if you do that, that will seriously stunt your sanctification for years of your life. I don't know how else to say it in a loving way as a pastor. If you constantly hear God's message as a one to critique rather than God's address to you, you will stunt your sanctification. It will affect other areas of your life. It just will. And Paul said, the elders who among you, they, they labor among you, they're worthy of double honor. I don't have time to do this. Notice the scripture never says your parents are worthy of double honor. It doesn't say your civil authorities are worthy of double honor. It says your spiritual authority, those who labor in the word of God, are worthy of double honor. That's what the text says. Here's the second group. You honor your peers. So we honor those above us. You honor our peers. And that means that they may dishonor you. Anybody been dishonored by your peers? Come on, folks. You've been dishonored by your peers. Here's what I've learned. I've discovered the greatest rewards come when we honor those who dishonor us. Jesus said, you honor those who dishonor you? Or you honor those who honor you? What is that? You know better than gang members. You love those who only love you? What, what, what reward is there in that? You've got to love those who hate you, right? Enemy love. That's peers. I could give you some examples of that, right? Here's the third group. He said, honor those who are entrusted to your care. Husbands, listen. He said, honor your wives. Did you know what it says? It says, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel does not mean that she is subpar. It just means you can bench press more than her. Okay, that's all it means. I don't know. I don't know. That's right. I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I, you come in February, we'll, we'll hit through, through anatomy and reality and gender roles and, and gender specific, all that. We believe, women, you are absolutely your husband's equal in, in any and every way, and you have the right to say to him whatever you want to say to him. I just make that clear so you don't take it and run with it, okay? So we don't call, like what like 1 Peter says, Abraham have to tell Sarah to call him the master, okay? So at membership, we don't make all of our wives say to our husbands, hey, Master Craig or Master Andy. We don't do that here at the church, okay? So you're good, you're good. But this is what 1 Peter 3 says. You know what it says? It says, husbands, if you dishonor your wives, heaven won't hear your prayers. It says that? Yeah, guy comes to me and says, hey, Craig, would you pray for me? Hey, man, I would love to, but I've been listening to how you speak to your wife, so I don't want to waste your time and my time because he's not going to listen. Would I say that to somebody? I'll I, I, be honest with you, I haven't had the boldness to do that yet. But that's what First Peter 3 says. It's right there in the text. Why do we honor? We honor because we realize that the person we're talking to, God paid the highest price for that individual, folks. That's why we honor. And how do we honor? We honor with our lips. Everybody say our lips. James chapter 3, I want to end with this passage. James chapter 3, notice what the Bible says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes, and anyone who makes mistakes, no mistakes in speaking, man, you're perfect. You're able to keep the whole body in check with that little bridle. But if we put bits into the, how, the mouths of horses to make them obey, we can guide their whole body with those bits. Watch this. Or look at ships, James says. He says, uh, though they're so large, it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they're guided by this really small rudder wherever the will of the Lord or the, 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 the plow or the wind directs them. And also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. Watch this. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Now, folks, this is not an encouraging passage. If you had not figured it out yet. And the tongue is a fire. 
The tongue is placed among our members as a world of sin. Watch this. It strains the whole body and your tongue is set on fire. It sets on fire the cycle of nature and your tongue is itself set on fire by hell. So I read that this week. And I thought, Lord, I don't know what to say. What do I say about a text that tells me not to talk because my tongue is full of poison? And then it hit me. I'm telling you, it hit me. Hit me. This so stirred in my soul. No one can tame the tongue, and then it hit me. God became no one so that he can tame the tongue. What does Philippians 2 say? He gave himself, gave up his divine privilege, made himself of no reputation. What does that mean? That's what happens in Jesus Christ. God becomes a nobody precisely so he can reframe the human nature because Jesus is, if anything, the speech of God. Did you know Jesus is the speech of God? He's the speech of God, then he speaks the word of God. He becomes a nobody, and in becoming a nobody, he tames the tongue. And because he tames the tongue, now he's alive in us. He is the tongue tamer in us. You know what that means? God is a God who speaks. Folks, it would be theologically accurate for me to say to you, the entire life of God is a conversation. Genesis account, God spoke and it was. Do you know what it means? In fact, there is a father who speaks. There is the son who has spoken. There is the Holy Spirit who is the outcome of that speech. Can I say it again? The father speaks. What is spoken is the son. The outcome of the son's speech is that Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit is had or experienced by the one who listens. Are you with me? The Father is the one who speaks. The one, the spoken is Jesus. And love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control is the fruit of that speech. And now because we're believers, watch this. God is calling us to speak and be like the Holy Spirit in bringing goodness and peace to others. We are to be like our Father, to be caught up in the Trinity, to be like our Father, to speak the Son and bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in the people that listen to us. What I'm saying to us, church, oh, please don't miss this today. We have to learn in our culture how to speak from faith and not from our own nature. We've got to learn to speak from faith and not from our own advice. We've got to learn to speak from the counsel and word of God and not our own thinking, folks. We have to stop being people of advice. We have to stop being people of advice on our social accounts and start being people of the word of God. We have to be people who learn not to say what we are thinking, but to say what God is saying. And we do that by recognizing what God's life is like. His life is a conversation. And every time God speaks, it opens up the possibility for somebody else to speak. We should know our speech is marked by the presence of God when what we say opens opens the next person to say something and doesn't close the conversation. Our speech is faith speech when we speak and it opens the world of possibility for the next person to speak. That's the reciprocity of the Trinity. And when we know we're operating and, and walking in faith, then that's what marks and characterizes our speech. Oh, I wish I could go into this. 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul says. This is how he said it. He's mad because the Corinthians are saying to him, you told us you're going to come here, then you changed your mind. You're not a man of your word. Paul says, oh, am I not? Let me talk to you right quick. This is what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. We're not double-minded. We tried to come to you, but the plans changed. They fell apart. Look what he said. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him who, Jesus, it is always yes. Yes. For all the promises of God find their 
yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Look at me, church. Every word God says is a yes to who we are. Even when God says no, it's just a form of his yes to who he has made us to be. When he says no to sin, he is simply saying yes to who he's called us to be. When he says no to adultery, it's because he's called us to the good of marriage. When he says no to lying, it's because he's called us to the good of integrity and honesty. Even his no is nothing but a yes to what he means for us. That's who Jesus is. So Paul gets fired up. He don't mix words here, does he? I love the Apostle Paul, especially when he starts responding to people, you know? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what he said. I end. As surely as God is faithful, but just as we have the same spirit of faith. Everybody say faith. That is in accordance with Scripture. Watch this. I believed and so I spoke. Time out. You ready? You want to know the difference between advice and counsel? Advice and opinion is I thought... So I said, counsel is I believe, so I spoke. I want to say it again. That's the best thing I can give you today. I'm so proud of that. I might just run around the picnic at the park on that one little statement right there. This is what marks advice. I thought, so I said. Counsel is I believe, so I spoke. I thought, so I said. That's speaking from a place of the flesh. Speaking from a place of the spirit of the faith is I believe, so I speak. I speak not from my own thoughts. I speak not from my own wisdom, not from my own trust, but by trust in the wisdom of God. Listen to me. And if you're unsure of which one you're speaking from, just don't speak. Just don't speak until God makes it clear. Are you speaking from faith? Are you speaking from opinion? And when God makes it clear that you're speaking from faith and you speak boldly and you speak with love and you speak with courage, because Paul goes on in verse 14 and 15, this is what he says. He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Remember, they're fighting him. And he says, hey, we're going to be brought into his presence together. Now watch this. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving. Look at me, church. That is the outcome of speaking the counsel of God. Grace will extend more and more, not vitriol more and more, not huge walls on your social media accounts of everybody getting more and more mad. That's not. That's speaking from flesh. That's not speaking from word. When I speak from word, I have no idea who and what, how that word of grace will infect the person listening. And when it infects the person that's listening, it's highly catchable, way more than COVID ever thought about being, okay? It is highly catchable. When I speak a word of grace to somebody, then that grace infects them, and then it has a ripple effect that begins to move out among the people around me. And every time I speak a word of grace, that person becomes graced in a way that will somehow infect someone near them. Every kind word you say that is spoken in the Holy Spirit of God, you cannot imagine the kind of grace it spreads around you. It ripples out to lives that you will never know. But when we speak from opinion, when we speak from from a, a flesh, all of our words are like this. If then, if you did this, then I will make this happen. If you don't do this, then this will happen. If you will be this for me, then I will be this for you. Look at me, Charlie. Our speech is always conditioned by our own limits. But God's speech is unlimited. So God doesn't say if then. God says because, therefore. Because I am, you can be. Because I am, you are. Because I am, you will. Come on, team. So this is what marks the faithful speech of God. You're going to say one of these three things to people. Are you ready? I put them on your card. 
One of three things. Because God is God, you are. And then we name their identity. We name their identity. Because God is God, you are beloved. Because God is God, you are secure. Because God is God, you are, you are embraced in the love God has for himself. Because God is God, are you hearing me, church? You are dear to me and you are dear to anyone else who claims the name of Jesus. And then not only do we speak to their identity, then we speak to redirect their purpose. So we say, because God is God and you will, and then you speak to their purpose. Because God is God, you will possess all he intends for you. Because God is God, you will receive every good inheritance that God has planned for you. Because God is God, you will accomplish all he has for you. And not because you are, but because God is and God is in you. And because in God, you are made new. So I don't say what I'm saying because I have trust in you and your character. I say what I say about you because I have trust in his character. So I don't look to the people's experience and my experience of them to speak to their future. I look to God's character and his nature to speak to who they are and who they, who, who and what their future can be. That's what distinguishes speaking from the flesh and speaking from the spirit. We not only say who you are and we not only say what you will do, but then we say what you can do it. We speak in ways that encourage. So we say, because God is God. Listen, look at me, church. When you, when you are full of the Spirit of God, this is what you will start hearing come off your lips. Because God is God, you are beautiful. Because God is God, you are forgiven. Because God is God, young man, you are trusted. Because God is God, you are welcome in the family of God. And because God is God, you would do everything he has put in your heart to do. Because God is God, you will see victory over that sin habit. And because God is God, you can do all things in him. And because God is God, not because you are you, but because God is God and God is in you and in God you've been made new. And because God is God, you will see victory in that situation. And because God is God, you can resist the temptations that keep on plaguing your life. And because God is God, you don't have to bow your knee anymore. You want to talk about faithful speech? It's because God is God, you are. Because God is God, you will. Because God is God, you you can. Wow, what if we walked into this culture with that on our lips? What if I looked at my brother, Jose, and I said, because God is God, you are forgiven, young man. Because God is God, you are a father to those children. Because God is God, you will be a faithful husband to your wife. Because God is God, you will stand before God one day with your head held high, pouring out your unique contribution for the kingdom of God. You hear me, Jose? Because God is God, you can do it. You can do it. I don't care what words of curse have been spoken against you. Because God is God, you can be all that God's called you to be. What just happened? The Spirit of God. Because I don't speak to him out of confidence in his character. I speak to him out of my confidence in God's character in Jesus. That's what marks the people of God. That's our speech. God's, God is God. You are. Oh, I dare you to go to a waiter today. Say, hey, before I order my food, I'd like to, I'd like to just get to know your name and where you're from. I know it seems weird to honor people in today's culture, but I just kind of like to get to know people in the eyes and say, because God is God, you are loved. See if God doesn't get involved. Because God is God, you will be a faithful spouse. Yes, you will. Because God is God, you can live upright in this depraved generation. I don't speak to you words of hope because I trust your character. I speak to you words of hope because I trust his character. Y'all, that will make stop speaking to people based on your experience with them and you look to God and what he's doing in them and speak to their future. Everything in
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.